Good morning, church. Yay. Um, it's great to be here together this morning. As Ruth said when she introduced me, my name is Sonia Smith, and along with my husband, Stephen, we've been part of this church here since um, early 2012. And as Ruth said, I lead our women's ministry, She Hopes. I'm involved in the worship team and as a Bible read-through leader and coach. And a lesser-known role is that I'm actually like the chief taster for all of Stephen's cooking for the feasts. And we've been so, and um, yeah, no other applications for that role are welcome. Um, it's my absolute joy and privilege to have the opportunity to teach here today. If you're new or visiting, a special welcome to you. Our senior pastor, Brian, has recently been leading us through a series called Making a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. Last week, we were looking at the example of Hannah and Elkanah's marriage in 1 Samuel, um, learning lessons about what it looks like to love each other well in marriage, specifically when it's a difficult season. And what I want to share with you this week actually follows on in many ways from that. Today, we're going to take a brief departure from that series and step into the New Testament, specifically to one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, which is Romans. Let me start by saying this. I am a total people person, 100%. Have you ever seen those party banners that say, please leave by nine? Have you ever seen any of those? They're like a joke, but the reason I'm the kind of person that those banners are not a thing, right? Because I'm the one that stays latest and last at a friend's house. I just want to soak up all those moments of chat. Even in my own house, I always get up first in the morning because soon someone else will get up and then you can chat again. It's usually a two-year-old, but still, I don't want to miss any of it. I'm a total classic extrovert and it gives me so much life and energy and joy to be around people. But the thing is, people are hard work. I'm not the only person who thinks this, right? Even with people we like, even with people we love, relationships are hard. And I'm always looking to God to be like, how do I do this well? How, do I how does anyone live alongside people and get along with them and move forward and thrive? And the church is people, right? It's all of us. It's great and it's frustrating and it's incredible and it's messy and it's all because we're people so today we're going to look at unity what it is what it looks like to pursue and why we should bother pursuing it last week we were focusing on personal relationships and what goes on mostly privately between two people today we're focusing on church relationships between believers whatever our gatherings look like whatever the intricacies and nuances of our ideas whatever cultural and social context we're from. This is about exploring the dynamic between all people who profess Jesus as Lord. And I have a little disclaimer to make that I'm going to use the word church lots over the next 20 minutes or so. I'm trusting that most of what we explore will be relevant for small communities of believers like your Bible read-through group, but also be applicable within churches and between churches because what we really mean by church is the body of Christ, wherever it is. I've been thinking about unity for many, many months, long before the idea of multiplying Rehope to different locations was on my radar. I really think we're on the cusp of something incredibly exciting as a church. So these words I'm sharing with you are intended to be an encouragement to us all, regardless of where we're at, but it just so happens to be a moment where our church stands on the edge of a new season, full of opportunity. 
We can't be sure yet of exactly what our communities are going to look like in the months and years ahead, but we can seek wisdom together now for that future season. So, unity. When I think of unity in a biblical context, I see it alongside concepts like peace, harmony, fellowship, connection, commitment. The Bible refers to us as a body of Christ with many parts, all different, all diverse, all created in the image of God for his glorious purposes. God as Father, Son, and Spirit, is our primary example of perfect unity. Unity is not homogeny. It's not about sameness, not about being the same. It's about togetherness. It's about going together in the same direction, together on the same mission, and together with the same heart. But just being on the same page for the same purpose, that alone actually isn't enough. And in fact, if being united becomes our goal at any cost, we completely miss the point. We want to have a specific kind of unity that gives glory to God. That is unity in Christ. We don't pursue unity for its own sake. We pursue unity for the sake of the kingdom. Unity is all about how we relate to each other, how we talk to each other, how we talk about each other, how we journey through life together, and as we come to examine scripture, we can see that Paul has loads to say on how Christians should be together. So that's where we're going to start. Let's look at a few verses from Romans chapters 14 and 15. If you've got your Bible handy, feel free to open up there. Um, I'm going to read some of the verses for us, and they'll be up on the screen, hopefully, so you can follow along. But as you see, I'm just highlighting certain verses as we go through, not the full two chapters. Um, the context here is that the church in Rome had both Jewish and Gentile believers in its community. And in these chapters, Paul is giving them instructions and advice as they are experiencing disagreement. Here's how he starts. 14 verse 1 says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In the Passion Translation, it's worded like this. Offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer, even though their faith may be weak and immature, and refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. I love that image of an open hand of fellowship. I think it's such a helpful picture of how followers of Christ should welcome and interact with one another. Paul emphasizes that the substance of these debates is actually just opinion. And that's where the problem lies. He goes on to illustrate what the problems are around. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Paul continues, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is making it totally obvious that it is absolutely not our place to judge. He goes on regarding another issue, whether certain days should be sacred, like keeping the Sabbath. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. 
So our convictions, those ideas that we hold firmly, the details of our faith are actually something really personal. In fact, in verse 22, Paul is particularly direct. Do you have a conviction? Keep it to yourself before God. Now, as I've been thinking and reflecting on this, I think it's important, in fact, essential that we consider what this passage is not saying. It's not saying, it doesn't matter what your convictions are. Who cares what you believe about what to eat or what days to keep sacred? That stuff doesn't matter. It absolutely does matter. What I think Paul's highlighting here is what we do with our convictions. Let's also keep in mind that unity is on God's agenda and truth is on God's agenda. And so the pursuit of unity cannot be at odds with the pursuit of truth. Maybe you're a bit like me and you love a good debate, you love a good righteous rant about something. And maybe if I actually got down off my soapbox sometimes, I would have a far better perspective from which to lead others into maturity and a fuller understanding of God's truth. There is so much instruction and guidance throughout the scriptures, especially in Paul's letters, about how we can lead each other well into truth and light and hope. That is the whole basis of discipleship. We're getting alongside someone and saying, come with me as I follow Jesus. It's a journey we go on together. The problem is if we're too hasty in trying to convince a brother or sister of our convictions of sound doctrine, we run the risk of crushing their spirit. As Paul goes on to say, therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. And further down, so then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. What we're getting from Paul here is that there are some things, maybe many things, that we're going to have to set aside in this pursuit of unity. There is a serious tendency towards criticism that many of us fall into. We do need to stop that, but not so that we fall into some neutral, passive territory. We turn that criticism around and we become encouragers and peacemakers. In chapter 15, Paul goes on. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I also love the message paraphrasing of this section. It goes like this. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That is such a great perspective, isn't it? How can I help? Imagine for a moment how the church might look different if that was our attitude. And that strength is for service and not status part. Those of us who consider ourselves more mature in the faith, is that something we are preaching to ourselves regularly? We're made strong and mature in Christ for service. 
Maybe your past or present circumstances have held you back from fully engaging with what God has for you now as part of the body of Christ. Maybe you feel hurt. Maybe you've been criticized or overlooked. Maybe you're worried about church or even angry. I don't want to play any of that down as if it's not real or significant, because it is. I'm saying that I know the pursuit of unity, doing things for the good of the body of Christ, it's clear from the Bible, it has a cost. It involves sacrifice. Friends, we are the church, us, the people. And so especially when we move into a new season where our communities and contexts are shifting, it needs all of us to step into our giftings, to commit to working with God and with each other in what he is already doing in our time and in our city. When I first came to Rehope almost seven years ago, my spiritual life was pretty dry. I had real faith, but there was no fruit. I had ideas about who God was, but no zeal for seeing him at work. And on the very first Sunday I came here, I sat quietly at the back, right there, and I felt strongly to the point of being overwhelmed. It was like I remembered, God really is real. And this is a place that a real God is really worshiped in spirit and in truth. And I still see that when I look around this room at you, my church family. I see evidence of God moving, testimonies of answered prayer, of miraculous healings, abundant provision, restoration of relationships, and grace abounding. I see passionate devotion to prayer. I see gifts. I see talents. I see the fruit of the Spirit. I am so encouraged by us. And... I am prayerfully expectant of the breakthrough that we can be part of in this next season as church. This is a message on unity, not specifically on serving, but forgive me for indulging again briefly in what I think is a really significant aspect of unity. Many times we allow subtle divisions, judgments or criticisms to creep into our hearts and minds within the body. Our opinions or ideas about how things could or should be done in church, our preferences in style, our cultural norms, or even more bluntly, our desire and sense of entitlement to be entertained while at a gathering of God's people. All of these things can be barriers to us thinking, hey, actually the church is people. I'm a person and I could say, how can I help? And if you were at all unsure, then let me say this. In this church, there is space for you. More than that, there is a call on us as a church to step forward. So therefore, there is a call on you to lean in, to give, to serve, to go further in all that God is doing in our midst. If you have been waiting for someone to ask you to serve, then I am asking you, please, because we need each other. We need to release each other joyfully into our giftings. We need to disciple each other gently, getting alongside, supporting and championing each other as we grow. We need to encourage each other meaningfully and often. We need to love each other well all the time. 
Romans 15, 5 and 6 says this. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. We are going to need to lean on God for his endurance and encouragement as we pursue unity. In our personal prayer life, time and time again, we will need to ask for wisdom and strength. Even attempting to be united without God's power and blessing will be exhausting and ultimately fruitless. So let's together commit to regularly asking God for this endurance and encouragement as we humble ourselves before him in prayer. I feel like I could have used different examples of encouragements in unity from from Paul's different letters. And just because I have the opportunity here, I'm just going to read out a couple of other verses for you because I just think they're so good. Um, First of all, from Philippians 2. Hopefully you find these helpful. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. From Ephesians 4, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And from 1 Thessalonians 5, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Notice these words that Paul is using always strive hold them in the highest regard completely humble and gentle make every effort the more i think about the concept of unity the more i see how intentional and consistent i'll have to be in pursuing it you see friends i really want to be part of a community of believers where we're all pursuing unity together i hope you do too and i hope you can see that it's going to take every single one of us There are so many enemies to unity. Comparison, jealousy, fear, arrogance, even hatred. We have to be steadfast in our commitment to each other as family, just as we're steadfast in our commitment to Christ himself. Let's just be real for a minute, okay? I mean, I was real the whole time, right? But, okay. I just, let's acknowledge, it is so hard to pursue unity. Like, genuinely so hard. And I just want to think about some specific times where you might have experienced that it's been really, really challenging. It could be an observation you've made, a conversation you've had, or a whole relationship with someone. Maybe you have a fire in your belly about something. You are so passionate about it and you believe it's really right and biblical. 
and you're just chatting to someone and they don't get it. They're just quite dismissive. Yeah, that's fine. You On you go. Maybe you discover that someone close to you has a majorly different view on a certain issue, like an opposing view. Maybe they've criticized your view or even attacked you on it. Maybe you're watching what's going on in the situation from a distance and you just have so many questions. You're thinking, how could, how could a believer do this? How can, how can Christians do this? Why would they say that? Why would they act like that? This is so difficult in the body of Christ. The challenge to keep pursuing unity in those sorts of circumstances and many others is a truly difficult one. So here's something I need to remind myself of often. We can deeply disagree with our fellow believers on significant issues and we can at the very same time be kind to them. Extending kindness is not an endorsement of someone's behavior or viewpoint. Kindness, in fact, love is a commandment. I give you a new commandment, Jesus says. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is one of the key reasons why unity is so important to keep pursuing, because there is power when we hold fast to what is most important together. This commitment to love each other amongst our family is going to involve some real deep, hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. So let's practice patience and gentleness with each other. We're in it together for the long haul. And as far as we can, let's choose not to get offended, but instead seek every opportunity to extend grace. I know that in my own life, I have had the joy and privilege of knowing some incredibly mature, wise, and insightful believers. Women and men of God who have shown me with their whole lives what it looks like to follow Jesus. In the moments where I've needed encouragement to stay faithful, the words have been gentle. Where I have needed guidance in spiritual disciplines, the example I've been shown has been one of passion and integrity. Where I've needed truth spoken directly and clearly, it's been done wrapped up in love. Jesus knows that this work of unity is important and challenging. In John 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. He prays this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Jesus again reminds us that this unity is part of our witness. As we go out into the world to all around us, to those who don't know the hope of Jesus for themselves, being united as believers is so powerful in pointing to the truth and life that's possible in him. 
Psalm 133 has such a lovely reminder for us about what the fruit of unity is. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Notice it's good and pleasant. Like, it's the right thing to do, and it should be an enjoyable experience for us. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. What a great picture of being completely covered in anointing oil. This is where I want to be, right in the midst of God's abundant blessing of life. Friends, I am so excited for this season that we're in, and I'm excited to be in it with you, together. I have some challenges for us today. I've just taken some of the verses we've looked at, and honestly, I've just picked out the bits that jumped out to me like, yeah, I need to work on this. So let's embrace these challenges together. First of all, the challenge to be completely humble and gentle. So let's take some time to reflect, confess, and repent over attitude that's in us, an action that we've made that has come from a place of selfishness, or pride, or arrogance, or entitlement. Ask God to give you his heart for a church that's united in vision and purpose. Trust him for his grace and favor in the pursuit of unity. Secondly, the challenge to offer an open hand of fellowship. Now I know you're all doing things all the time which are blessing others in the body, but this is a specific challenge to bless someone else, someone new, someone that maybe you've just welcomed and actively show grace to them. Just one thing that you can do that illustrates that open hand of fellowship amongst all believers. And third, the challenge to look after the good of the people around us asking ourselves, how can I help? So let's commit to stepping out and using our gifts and serve our church. I'm going to invite the band to come forward just now. And in a moment, uh, Ruth's going to come up and give us some more instructions as we move into the next part of our service. But first of all, I would really love to pray for us all because we need God's help here. So would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the body of Christ wherever it is. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person that is here. I thank you for the, the stories, the testimonies that are represented here. I thank you for the gifts you have given us for all your incredible provision over us personally and as a group, Lord. I thank you for your word, God, that is rich with instruction on how we should live our lives. And I thank you for the instructions of how we should do church together, how we should live well together as believers. And Lord, we just take a moment to open our hearts to you, Lord. 
Lord, we just confess the attitude of our heart as we hear the invitation to pursue unity together. So let's just take a moment to be honest before God about this. Jesus, we need your help. We need your help to keep pursuing unity together. God, we need your help to forgive each other. We need your help to be gentle with each other. We need your help to be wise. We need your help to love well. So God, I just ask that you would give us your heart. Give us your heart for church. Give us your heart for a community that are united with one voice and one mind. I pray a blessing on each of us as we personally commit to pursuing unity for the good of the body, but most importantly, for your kingdom, God, that we may be a light to others to show them the perfect unity that is in you. God, give us grace thank you that that this is not just about striving, 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 God, but it's just about being surrendered to your purposes. Help us, Lord, and bless us in our pursuit. In Jesus' name we pray.